Get 0% interest for 48 months on any replacement project right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Our experts complete the installation with no hassle or mess, leaving only perfect results. Schedule your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I want to start off by revisiting something that we discussed sometime last week, in part because I've got some new information, but secondly, because I understand that there are some people who turn on WTMJ at 6 o'clock in the morning and listen till 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night, which we say thank you. We appreciate that. On the other hand, there's lots of people who just sample. I mean, you know, you're in your car, and so you're listening, and so you you catch the – or it's lunch hour, and you catch the 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock hour, but you don't hear the other stuff because you're back at work and you can't listen. So, I mean, I appreciate that there's a lot of people who don't – necessarily hear all three hours of the show, you know, every day. And so that's why sometimes we we revisit stuff, especially stuff that I feel strongly about. This falls in that category. If you have a vehicle that is registered in one of the seven counties in southeastern Wisconsin, you are required every two years as a condition of getting your car registered, you are required to have it emission tested. Now, it used to be that the Department of Transportation ran the emission testing. And and you will remember that there used to be these all over the state. There used to, at least all over the seven counties in southeastern Wisconsin, there used to be these big DOT emission testing things. The one that I used to always go to was sort of on the way to Pottawatomie. You'd get off the freeway and you'd kind of go down on Canal Street. And there was this this huge, you know, testing station. Now I think it's a uh, it's a brew pub, I think, as I recall. But but regardless, you, you had to go get get tested. Well, now things have changed. You still have to get tested every two years, but it's not done by the Department of Transportation. What happens is the DOT contracts with local auto repair shops or oil change places or car dealers or whatever to do the testing. The problem is they they only pay $2 a car. So many, many, many places just choose not to do it because for $2 a car, it's just not worth their time. So first of all, because the reimbursement rate is so very, very low – I mean, I don't know where you live. For example, where I live, within like 10 miles, there's one place that does it, just one place that that does it. So you get the notice, you go, and this happened like last week. I got the notice on one of my vehicles that it was was due. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get this taken care of. So on a Monday morning, I go out, and the line, there's at least 10 or 12 cars in, in line, you know, where I went. And so... It takes about five minutes a car, maybe a little bit less, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to be here for an hour, and I just kind of left, and I started exploring this whole concept of you know, needing to, to take these cars and to get them you know, tested and the inconvenience that it, it supplies. So a couple days later, this was sometime last week, I, I went back to the place that does the testing. I went at a slightly different time of day, and there were only two or three cars in line, so it only took me like 10 or 15 minutes. But I was curious. So at least at the place that I went, I, I asked the guy, I said, okay, how many cars do you do a day? He says, well, we do about 40 or 50 cars a, a day. 
And I said, and you get two bucks a car? He said, yeah, but, you know, we, we lose money on this service, but we, we hope to make it up because, you know, we, we hope that people— you know, find us, and because they they know we're doing emission testing, where they might come back and get an oil change and a tire rotation or, or whatever. So, so that that's why we, we do it, because, again, we, we're trying to just get our name out there, and it's a form of advertising. And so that's interesting. I said, okay, <clears throat> my question to you is of, let's say, 100 cars that come through for emission testing, how many fail? Now, when I talked about this a week or two ago, I had a couple people who work at dealerships, and they said it's it's not more than four. You know, you never have more than four out of a hundred, and that would be a lot. So I asked the guy at my place. I said, "I'm just curious out of out of the cars that fail, how many out of a hundred fail?" He said, "Maybe two, maybe." And he said, "In those, almost it's almost always." Because it's not because there's really an emission problem. It's because the, the gas ta- cap is, if you have a car that has a gas cap, it's because the gas cap is loose or defective or something like that. So it's not because there's a problem with the catalytic converter or something like that. It's it's normally a gas cap. But but the operative number is it's only two out of out of 100. And yet we go through all this inconvenience and you have the expense. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, look, I love the planet as well as the next guy. I, I do. But I guess at some point in time, is it fair to ask whether some of these things that you know we've just come to expect and have to do, that, that they're really just virtue signaling? If you own a car that is 1996 or later, you, you don't even have to get an emission tested because they, they don't have the equipment to do that. I would argue that the vast majority of cars which would pass, which would fail this, are probably the cars that are you know, 20 years old or, or older. I would also argue that cars that are within, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, but let's just even say 10 years. I would argue that you know, any car 2012 or later is probably the chance of that vehicle failing is slim to none. Now, could it have a defective gas cap? Maybe. But it, it, the reality is almost all of the cars that go through emission testing pass, which means we are all going through this hassle. We are going through you know, the, the expense that is involved, and we're not accomplishing anything. If this was, if you had 25 cars out of 100 that were failing and, you know, we were really making a material difference in improving the environment, I'd say, okay, I understand why we're doing this. But that's not the case. Almost nobody fails. So all that happens is when you get that notice, you have to take the time out of your day. You have to drive to wherever you're going to have to drive to find the spot. You're going to have to wait in line. You're going to have to go through this, and you are going to pass. That's just the practical reality. You are going to pass. So given the fact that everybody passes, or almost everybody passes, does it make any sense to keep doing this? And my answer would be no. It's nothing but virtue signaling, and it is an inconvenience to at least most of us. 855-616-1620. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. See, this is this is my problem with so many government regulations. It's one of these things that sounds good. Hey, we, we want to get we want to get these old we want to get these polluting cars off the road. Okay, I, I get it. I, I understand that. But then you look at what the real effect is, and and it's not accomplishing that. It is an inconvenience to require people to go get their car emission tested. And by the way, it's only in the seven counties in in southeastern Wisconsin. So you're required to do that. But the testing, 98 
plus percent of the cars pass. So you're really not accomplishing that much. And of those that fail, the majority, I'm told, are, are because it's a default, defective gas cap. So you're, you're really not getting the emissions spewing, you know, that, that occasional junker that might be around. And by the way, if the car is 1996 or older, you, you don't have to get it tested at all. And I would argue that if you really wanted to see emissions, that's probably where a lot of them are coming from. My only point is, is this virtue signaling? How much longer do we do this? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Pat. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Pat. Hi, Pat. You there? I'm here. Hi, Jeff. How Hi. are you? Good. What do you think? I'm in a car, which is kind of appropriate for this uh, conversation. I think it's the biggest waste of time, and I'm shocked somebody hasn't come up with a class action lawsuit, especially if you're forced to do a repair. And now I believe the limit's up to either seven or nine hundred dollars that you may have to spend. Right. It's it's idiot. It's idiotic. Right. The you know, and it's interesting. The only the, the guy who I was at least talking to said. The, the, if you've got your check engine light on, then it's unlikely that you will pass. So that, that kind of gives you an advance notice that, that that's what the problem is for whatever reason. So Correct. I would argue that those people, I, I, you know, those people are probably getting it fixed. I, again, I, I understand. I want clean air too, Pat, but you know, I just, I'm not sure that this is the way to go about it. I don't think this is accomplishing anything. Jeff, when they did away with carburetors and went to fuel injection, that's where this problem really decreased with the air pollution problems. And I'm sorry, but the vast majority of our air pollution in southeastern Wisconsin comes south of us from Gary, Indiana, and right. Chicago. Yeah, you're exactly right. It when, doesn't come. It's not homegrown. Right. Thanks for calling. And, and it, it's, it's yes, it's when the wind blows. But it, it's also not coming out of the tailpipes of the vast majority of vehicles that are there. Jeff, we are an emissions testing center in Milwaukee County. The system has many flaws. There is absolutely no benefit to doing it. The biggest joke is that if you have a truck 1996 to 2006 that weighs more than 8,600 pounds, you get an automatic waiver. They can be billowing smoke, and it's not a problem. They automatically pass. Um, You know, Jeff, we're lucky that we're not in California, where both emission and safety checks at independent garages are mandatory at the owner's cost every six months. Um, yeah, I, I think that you've got that situation there. Jeff, a lot of cars, Milwaukee, don't even have plates. You can't tell me that they're following the rule. Oh, that's an interesting point. We've got something that we're going to be talking about regarding that in just a little bit. Um, Jeff, anytime I failed an emission test, it's never been an, an emissions issue. It's always been a sensor equipment problem. It has nothing at all to do with the emissions. And again, I want to be real clear here. If, if I thought that this was getting heavily polluting cars off the road in any significant number, I'd say, okay, well, this is kind of the cost of, of doing business if you want to register your car in southeastern Wisconsin. But if you just look at these numbers, nobody nobody is failing. Um, Jeff, my son has a sports car that all the emissions equipment, including catalytic, conver- catalytic converter, has been removed and also has a program in the car that when tested tells the testing device that the car is fine and it passes the test every other year. The whole thing is just an absolute um, 
joke. Um, that's it. Jeff, I had to get an emissions test recently on a 2010 car. It had a ch- I had a check engine light on, and I knew it wouldn't pass. The code it was giving was for a bad catalytic converter. I looked on YouTube and figured out how to clear the code, then put a bottle of um, Cataclean, whatever that is, in it, took it in, and it passed. Less than 100 miles later, the check engine light came back on with the same code. Um, you know, I don't care. I've passed. for the, I won't have to go for two years again. That tells me that the system is kind of flawed as well. Jeff, all emission regulation is virtue signaling. The virtue is we don't like smog. The cars didn't clean themselves up. Regulations did. That's not the point. <clears throat> See, that's this arrogance that's out there. The idea that it doesn't make any sense, it might not be accomplishing anything, um, but we're going to do it anyways because, darn it, it, we should just feel good about this. This this is the way of making ourselves feel good, and the fact that 98% of the cars are going to pass and those that fail probably aren't due to an emissions thing, but we're going to do it anyways because, you know, we, we're, we're going to stop the smog. Well, okay, my point to the texter would be, okay, the... the the, the cars aren't causing the smog, at least in the sense of the emission testing, for goodness sakes. But if it makes you feel better, that's fine. Then my suggestion would be then, then go in and get your car emission tested all the time. For the rest of us, it doesn't make any sense. It is a waste of time. It is a waste of spirit. It doesn't accomplish anything. And that's, I think, the problem with so many, at least so many of these different tests. All right, let's talk to... We've got James. James in Milwaukee. James, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, um, I have the unique situation of living both in California and Milwaukee and selling cars and owning repair shops in both areas. And I couldn't agree with you more. There's so many quality vehicles taken off the road in California due to the strict emissions programs for just minor issues that do not affect the, the emissions on the car. Yeah. The program was served some purpose when they actually used to test what was actually coming out of the tailpipes. But now all you do is connect up a computer port, and yeah. if the computer says something might be wrong, you fail. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's actually affecting the emissions, like you're saying. And it, it, it just becomes a financial burden for the people that can't afford to have their check engine light fixed or diagnosed. Right. Which in California probably starts at about two hundred and fifty dollars just to start figuring out what's wrong. And it, it just becomes it, it, like you said, it's just to, to feel good about yourself that you're doing something. And I would wonder, where are all the emissions testing fees going? What is that? Is that administering a program that's really not accomplishing anything or is the money going somewhere else? Well, right. And then that raises the other question of if we agree with the basic premise that the emissions testing as they're doing now isn't accomplishing anything, maybe maybe instead of just simply saying, well, we're going to do it the way we've been doing it for the last X number of years because it makes us feel good, maybe instead we should be thinking about, okay, how can we really, is what can we do to try to get those cars that really are polluting, get, get them off the road? And I guess I would argue, and no offense to anybody that drives a car that's older than 1996, I, I would argue the fact that they get exempted just is, is absolutely absurd because they're the ones that chances are have less of the emission, you know, reducing equipment than the, the 2020 car, for example, that somebody's purchased. Absolutely. Uh, the, the pre-96 cars also 
you could actually make an adjustment to them to affect the missions. Like a previous caller said, now that you have fuel injection and everything electronically controlled, unless you have some expensive equipment to modify computer programs, you can't adjust the missions at all anyhow. So what are we actually doing other than, you know, just it, it's almost like a gold sticker from your teacher. It, <laughs> it, it makes you feel good, but it, it accomplishes right. nothing. It doesn't give you a higher grade. It doesn't right. give you a more effective emissions program. Right. No, th- thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Again, I, I, I understand that this is, this is it, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like talking about social security. It's this electrified rail because you say this, and I'm getting some texts from people, you just hate the, you know, you just hate the environment and things like that. And I, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, my point is if we're going to do stuff to make the environment better, why don't we do stuff that makes the environment better? And this is not it. And you're exactly right, James. Right nowadays, if you go, they just kind of plug in their computer port to your computer port. There's nothing that goes in the tailpipe or anything like that. And and unless there's some error message that comes up on your computer, which most of the times isn't going to be related to admissions anyways, it, it just it it passes or on that rare, and it is rare, situation – or it fails, it's it's not because of pollution. So what are we accomplishing? And the answer to people out there who want to continue this silly program, the answer is we're not accomplishing a darn thing, but we are incurring an expense and we are inconveniencing an enormous number of people. And I don't mind being inconvenienced if it's going to be for a purpose, but it's not. Yeah, in, in the interest of clarity, um, I, I think I said this, but if if you own a car that is pre-1996 model. You do not have it. it, You're exempt from testing. So 1996 and newer are required testing. And there's a different rule for for trucks. Um, uh, There's a different rule for trucks. I I think that that goes up to 2006. But for vehicles, if, if it's 1995 model year or earlier, you are exempt from testing. Jim says, in general, I'm a conservationist and environmentalist, but I can't agree with you more. This is unfair to people that can't afford nice cars. Usually I vote Democrat, but if a Republican would run on this, on getting rid of emission testing, I would vote for them in a heartbeat. Jeff, environmentalism is becoming the new third rail in politics. Can you imagine the headlines from someone trying to reduce emission standards? They would be run out of town. Well, that, that would be that would be the ads. You know, if you would say, hey, if you try to make the argument that we've been making over the course of the last half hour or so, that this, this is nothing but virtue signal. Oh, he just look at this pollution. And you'd see the 30 second TV commercial of some 1992 car spewing all sorts of stuff into the environment. And the argument would be Jeff Wagner. If you elect him, he wants this to be the case. And he wants your children to die of smog. When all I'm saying is what we're doing makes absolutely no sense. Maybe we should consider doing something else if we really care about the planet that might actually work. But that's just me. Actually, some good news. Mike Spaulding's screen froze during the news account, and actually it's not as bad a day on Wall Street as he was indicating. Matter of fact, the Dow Jones Industrial, as of the moment, um, they're actually up 333 points. That's 1.14% after a decline yesterday. So the Dow is up 300-plus points. The NASDAQ is essentially even. It's uh, down 1.59. But um, the for today, at least, the stock market is not down hundreds and hundreds of points, at least at this point in time, two and a half hours to go before it closes. All right. Uh, uh, several months ago, 
there was all this this wailing and gnashing of teeth and hand-wringing on the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission over a rule that had been proposed to hold people who drive recklessly uh, accountable. And, and the idea was that what they wanted to do was to allow the police to seize and tow cars if the vehicles are unregistered and if the person driving the vehicle, the vehicles involved, the person driving gets a citation for speeding for at least 25 miles over the posted limit, endangering safety for reckless driving or fleeing from an officer or drag racing. So the deal would be if the car is involved, again, the car has to be unregistered and has to be driven 25 miles an hour over the limit, endangering safety for reckless driving, presumably like, you know, my guess is it, it's it's both. My guess is it's, you know, you're, you're blowing through the red light at 35 miles an hour over the limit um, or fleeing from an officer or drag racing. But the key is before you can seize the car, before you can lock, tow away the car, the car has to also be unregistered. All right. So the numbers are out. According to the Milwaukee Police Department, um, they have now towed under this policy 100 cars. Okay, and it's been in existence for a couple of months. According to the Milwaukee Police Department, among the vehicles towed, the average vehicle was going 31 miles an hour over the speed limit. In one instance, somebody was driving 52 miles an hour over the speed limit. 50% of the vehicles towed were not owned by the individual driving them. And then what happens is to get the vehicle back, you have to pay a $125 towing fee and a $20 per day storage fee. In addition, a valid driver's license has to be presented and proof of insurance has to be shown. So um, you, you need that. Now, let you say, Jeff, okay, what if the car is stolen? Well, if the car was stolen, then you don't have to you know, pay to redeem your vehicle. And if the car is reported stolen, it's not taken the general tow lot. So what we are talking about, this is not stolen cars. This is either cars that are unregistered but are owned by the people that are driving them or they're cars that – I don't know, you're driving your spouse's car or you're driving your buddy's car or whatever because they have lent them. So this policy exempts stolen cars. So don't think about that. If you're stolen, if you're a victim, you are not doubly victimed by, victimized by the system. Here's the other interesting thing. Per tow lot policy, if your vehicle is not retrieved within 15 days— it's eligible to be crushed. <laughs> so if you don't make arrangements to get your car insured, go down, pay the fees and all that, it, it's eligible to be crushed. And of the 100 vehicles that have been towed, they say 16 have been scrapped thus far. All right. Police chief likes this policy. I like this policy. I like this policy a lot because the only way that you're going to get reckless drivers off the street is to hold them accountable. And unfortunately, if we're depending on the court system to do that, we're not going to have a lot of luck. So this is a way, you know, you're involved in reckless driving. The car is unregistered. Boom, we're going to take the car from you. So I completely and totally support this. But but here – oh, here's one other detail. Um, of those who saw the vehicle they were driving towed, 41 percent had a valid driver's license – but we're driving an unregistered vehicle. Okay, so that means 59% 
of the people did not have a valid driver's license. 37% had a suspended license, 10% had a revoked license, 10% had no license at all. So you're driving an unregistered vehicle, and about 60% of the people didn't even have a valid driver's license. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, look, I, I knew I threw a lot of numbers at you, but first of all, I have no problem at all with towing the unregistered vehicles, right? No problem at all. My point is, given the success of this program, I think you need to expand this. And I would say, why do we limit this towing policy to vehicles that are simply unregistered? Why aren't we also towing vehicles that meet this criteria that are driven by people who do not have valid driver's licenses, whether it's no license at all, suspended license, or revoked license? I guarantee you, if you want to get those people off the street, and you know they're not, they don't have, you know, Almost everybody that would fit into that category, if they don't have a license or it's suspended, you know that they don't have insurance on the vehicle, or at least almost everybody's not going to have insurance on the vehicle. So my question is, why would we just limit this to unregistered vehicles? Why don't we also say, look, we're going to really be serious about this, and if you don't have a valid driver's license, you are not supposed to be driving this car. So if you are involved in fleeing, or if you are involved in reckless driving, or if you are involved in drag racing, all right, or if you're involved in endangering safety, and you don't have a valid driver's license, we're calling out the tow truck, we're booting up the car, and we're taking it down. I guarantee you, if you did that, first of all, I I mean, I don't know if you can get the attention of the people who don't have the driver's licenses, but I guarantee you, you're at least going to get those cars that they have access to off the street. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Finally, we have a program that is starting to, at least in my opinion, show some success with regard to reckless driving. Why don't we, there's no sense in being a little bit pregnant, though. Why don't we get into a situation where we say, okay, we're going to be really serious about this, and we think people driving without driver's licenses or driving on suspended driver's licenses or driving on revoked driver's licenses or driving with no driver's license at all, this is a problem as well. So if you get caught doing this, not everybody, but if you get caught reckless driving and you fit into one of those situations, you don't have a driver's license, boom, we're towing the car, and then you have to figure out a way to get it back. Or if you've borrowed the car from mom or you've borrowed the car from your girlfriends or your buddies, they got to figure out a way to get it back. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Isn't it time to get serious about this once and for all? And isn't that a logical next step? We discuss. And, and let me be really clear here. I'm, I am not saying every time somebody in Milwaukee gets stopped and has expired plates or has a, a revoked license that, that you, you know, you call out the tow truck and, and you pull out the, and take away the car. But, but if somebody's driving a car in a reckless fashion, 25 miles an hour more over the speed limit, you run a red light at a high rate of speed, you flee from the cops and you don't have a driver's license. Yeah. In that case, you're darn right. I'm saying, 
you know, call out the tow truck, take the car in, and then, all right, then make somebody have to say, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to pay the money to get this out. I'm going to show that I have proof of insurance. I'm going to do whatever I can to, okay, make sure that I'm legally allowed to drive. Or if I can't make sure that I, if I'm not entitled to drive, well, then somebody else is going to have to go get it down. Why don't we get serious about getting these bad drivers off the road? All right, let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, you have no license, reckless driving, uh, no license, no car. Uh, and then the other part of the equation is go to jail and uh, stay there. You know, that's the other part of the equation that needs to work on. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, thanks I mean, thanks for the call, Mike. I guess, look, I... I, I I have no problem with the go-to-jail sort of thing either, but the truth of the matter is that that's a more fundamental problem. We have we have judges that don't want to put people in jail unless they run through a red light and hit and kill people. We have prosecutors that are reluctant to bring those charges. So, I mean, that that's I, I'm with you. I, I think that that's it. But but this is something that you could do easy. I mean, this is this is an easy thing. We know it's working with unregistered cars. And I guess my question is, if it's working with unregistered cars, why don't we do it with essentially unregistered drivers, which is what you are if you're driving with a revoked or a suspended or no driver's license at all? And we know that's a huge chunk because of the unregistered cars that have been towed, about 60% were being driven by people who did not have a valid license or any license at all. And you know darn well that means they had no insurance, no nothing. They are a menace to everybody else that's on the street. Um, Jeff, I think the program should be expanded to cover more irresponsibility. Um, You know, um, yeah. Just, but also just looking at these first hundred seizures, you know, even with these, you know, it, it's a good start. I mean, that's all I'm arguing. It's it's a good start. Okay, let's talk to. Let's see, we've got uh, Ian. Ian in Glendale. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Ian. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I miss. I, yeah, Jeff. I missed the first part of this, but I assume it would entail all cars that do not have plates as well, whether they are in. You know, driving recklessly and not, I'm on the road all day in my job, and I see at least 10 cars per hour without plates. All of these cars with plates should be off the road. And furthermore, when I see these rolling wrecks with half the front end missing or rear end crash, you know, these cars should be should be pulled off the road and either repaired or sent to a junkyard. Yeah, you know, um, Ian, thanks for calling me. Um, okay, this this does not apply to missing plates. Unless the car itself is unregistered, so if you just if you have expired tags and and look here's the thing I and, and I just, I'm just so anal about this you know I mean it's I okay you get the you get the registrations I mean I I get the emission testing thing I send it in I pay my money I get the sticker on the thing so and I think I'm probably like like you and I'm probably like you know most people that you know we we want to try to do the right thing. So this, I, I think there's a balancing act. I'm not arguing that, okay, just because somebody's got an expired tag or something like that, that that means that you, you put the boot on and it sees the car. I think there has to be some sort of balancing. But if we want to, if we want to stop reckless driving and we want to stop irresponsible driving and we agree that one of the ways to do this is for people who, I mean, driving is a privilege. It's not a right for people who do not, for whatever reason, have the privilege of driving. I mean, the, the only thing you're really going to do to stop them is you're going to take the cars away. 
And, and so I, I think that's a that is a good start for those people. Does it solve all the problems? No, of course not. I mean, I, I don't argue that it does, but I think it's a good first step. Tom in Illinois. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, and um, it, it all makes perfect sense. But what we have here is a lot of 12 and 13-year-old boys stealing cars. Mm-hmm. Yep. They clearly don't have a license. Right. And you take the car away from them, who cares? They're going to go out tomorrow and do the same thing. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, Tom, I, my, my point to that, and thanks for the call. Okay, my point to that would be we're not talking about stolen cars. That, that Believe me, here in Milwaukee, I, I understand. We have a stolen car epidemic, and, and you're right. Uh, if you look at the numbers from last year, seven-plus thousand cars stolen in Milwaukee, um, your chances of getting caught are very, very slim. But of the people that were caught, it's about like one in ten. And what, what were the numbers? At least half were, were people under the age of 16. So you're exactly right. We have a huge problem with juvenile car theft. And I concede that this 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 does nothing to deal with that because if your car is stolen— well, you know, it, it, you're, you're not going to be double victimized by the system by having the car towed. You know, you're, you're already victimized. The car w- was stolen, and, you know, and you, you should get the car returned to you at no cost. So th- this doesn't, I concede, it does nothing to deal with the juvenile issue. Now, you know, and it's been the subject of many programs we've done over the course of the last, you know, couple of years. I, I think the juvenile justice system is an absolute mess. When we had Republican gubernatorial candidate Tim Michaels in the studio the other day, that's actually one of the questions I asked him. I said, look, we, you know, are, are you willing to take a complete top-to-bottom look at the juvenile justice, and I put that in quotation marks, system, which the laws were really designed years and years and years ago when the, the type of crime was— I don't know, Opie going out and him and some of his buddies, you know, TPing, you know, Barney's house. That That's what was going on, not what is going on now where you have the out-of-control violence and you have the car thefts and you have the Kia Boys gang or whatever out there stealing. So I freely concede that this does nothing to stop the car theft problem, but it does, I think, go directly to the reckless driving problem, which is people drive in a reckless fashion, putting the rest of us at risk as we drive the streets— and they shouldn't be on the road in the first place because, in this case, they don't have a valid driver's license. I mean, let me see a show of hands. Is there anybody who can think of a legitimate justification for somebody who doesn't have a driver's license or it's been suspended or it's been revoked, a legitimate reason for them to be behind the wheel of the car? And yet people do that all the time. Why? Because they have no fear of consequences at all, because they know nothing is going to happen to them as a practical matter. They'll get a citation. They won't pay the citation. You fold it up, you throw it in the back seat, and then you go right on driving. If you talk to a lot of police officers that do motor patrol, they will tell you that that is one of their biggest frustrations, people who have been stopped over and over and over and over again for no driver's license or, again, suspended license, revoked license, whatever, and and they just keep doing it. And you give them a ticket, you give them another ticket, you give them another ticket, but they don't care because they have no intention of paying the ticket. Well, all right, do what I'm suggesting. Take the car away, and you make it more difficult for them to get behind the wheel of the car. Now, maybe it's true that they'll go back and they'll 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 rent, you know, they'll not rent, but they'll be able to, you know, borrow a car from someone else. Oh, okay. Is it a perfect plan? No, it's not perfect, but it's a great second step. Fire and Police Commission could do it tomorrow. They should. Why are they delaying? 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. We could not do this topic in the first hour of the program simply because I know my blood pressure is going to go through the roof. I am concerned that my head is going to explode, and that would not be a pretty sight for either my producer, Charlie, who's behind glass, or the people that can come down and watch the show who are um, on the other side of the big glass windows that we have here. But this story that Mike was just telling you about, if, if, if you're not outraged by the unacceptable level of crime going on in this community. This story, there's something wrong with you if after all the other stories we've had, this one just doesn't make you say enough is enough. All right, this happened yesterday evening at 38th and Roar. To give you a perspective, Roar is, it's between... If you can uh, uh, imagine, you know, Silver Spring and Hampton. Okay, so it's 38th Street, so it's a little bit west of Green Bay Avenue um, and a little bit west of of Lincoln Park. I mean, I I grew up in Glendale. We we would go to play, you know, golf at the nine-hole golf course at Lincoln Park all the time. So that's kind of where this is, Um, a little bit north of Villard, a little bit south of Silver Spring, 38th Street, if if that helps you at all. Here is the story, and this is the way uh, Channel 4 reported it. A 12-year-old Milwaukee girl, a 12-year-old Milwaukee girl was killed in a double shooting near 38th and Roar on Monday. Milwaukee police say the shooting happened around 6 p.m. A 46-year-old Milwaukee woman was also injured. She is expected to survive. I believe it's the child's mother, not positive. The 12-year-old girl was transported to a local hospital where she died from her injuries. A watch commander's report from the Milwaukee police states the 12-year-old was shot in the chest. Police believe the shooters were known to hang out at an abandoned property across the alley from the victim's home. The mother of the victim told police that she was tired of the suspects dumping their stolen cars off near their home. Um, She, yesterday, went out and asked them to stop. So you've got a bunch of these lowlifes that are hanging out at this abandoned property, and they're dumping stolen cars, and God knows what else they are doing. So the lady goes over and says, hey, you got to knock this off. I can just picture this happening. The suspects shot her and killed her daughter. Now, the other dazzling detail about this is some of the other news accounts, this wasn't like one gunshot. They found at least 15 shell casings, at least 15 shell casings. One of the the witnesses, I think it might have been on Channel 12 I was listening to, that he, he said all they heard is like 6 o'clock at night, and, and all they heard was, you know, bang, 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 bang. So, I mean, somebody, either one or more people, just opened up on this 46-year-old woman and on the 12-year-old girl. And they just opened up, because like I say, they found at least 15 shots, there were repeated gunshots. So this wasn't, hey, you know, I'm waving the gun, the gun went off, boom. This was as cold-blooded a murder as you can possibly imagine. And a 12-year-old girl is dead, and this is what, the second 12-year-old in the last, 
you know, um, the last week or so that's, you know, ended up dead. The mayor releases a statement saying that it should not have happened and is is simply inexcusable. Here's what uh, Cavalier Johnson says. I'm extremely saddened by the murder of a 12-year-old girl last evening. I extend my deepest condolences to her family and her friends. This should not have happened and is simply inexcusable. Sadness is not the only emotion I'm feeling, and I'm sure many other Milwaukeeans are feeling as well. The shooting death infuriates me. I cannot imagine what was going through the mind of the killer when the trigger was pulled. Well, I can. Uh, I want the person or persons responsible for this death to be held fully accountable. Anyone who commits such an egregious act belongs behind bars. Let's also finally acknowledge that there are too many people who would commit acts of crime and killing who can too easily get their hands on guns. We have to have the obligatory. There's too many guns on the street. As a society, we've got to address the issue so these sorts of events don't continue to happen. My point would be, all right, what we really need to address is that the, the amoral monsters who are out there who believe that, hey, this lady got into my face. She didn't like the fact that we're, you know, hanging out in this abandoned lot, dumping stolen cars. So our response is that we're going to murder her and her daughter. Now, I think, I guess, that there's two points for the sake of discussion. First of all, this, to me, indicates why the what we call the broken windows theory of law enforcement is so important and why it has been just a horrendous mistake that the district attorney's office and the court system have gotten us away from this. What is the broken windows theory? Well, it says little stuff matters because if you stop the little stuff, it doesn't become the big stuff. This is a classic example of that. You have a bunch of low-life goons that are hanging out across the street. They're using an abandoned property as a dumping ground for stolen cars, which means they're stealing the cars in the first place. If you aggressively go out and get these punks and prosecute them and get them off the street, they're not in a position to pull out a gun and murder a 12-year-old girl. So that's the the importance of this. I will also, again, I will bet you all the money in my wallet versus all the money in my producer Charlie's wallet— now, he might be loaded, but I don't think so. Um, I'll bet all the money in my wallet versus all the money in his wallet that when we find out these low-life punks, these slugs that killed this 12-year-old girl, what do you want to bet that there's, again, a lengthy criminal record? I, I mean, and, and maybe it's a juvenile record, but I'm sorry you don't just wake up one day and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to go steal a bunch of cars, and when a 46-year-old lady confronts me, I'm going to pull out my piece, and I'm going to shoot as many bullets as I can at her and at the kid. You know that there's going to be a lengthy criminal record. Now, it might be juveniles, you know, who knows, but you know they've been in and out of the court system. You just don't wake up and say, okay, today's the day I'm going to murder somebody. Okay, that's number one. Number two, so the broken windows, you get them off the streets. This does not happen. Number two, they should be in custody today because there are people that know who this is. Believe me, there are people in the community who know who this is, and they should be just calling the cops right and left and saying, this is who was involved in this. You've got to get them off the street because if they'll murder a 12-year-old girl, you know you know that there's nothing that they will not do. So broken windows, community's got to come forward and identify them. But then I have a third point to make, and this one might be more controversial. Can anybody explain to me why we do not have a death penalty in the state of Wisconsin? I mean, if if it turns out, again, if it turns out that this is, as it appears to be, woman confronts these punks, somebody pulls out a gun and just opens up, firing repeatedly, wounds the mother, kills the 12-year-old girl, 
Why is it? Now, I understand the mayor, and he, you know, he's, he says, you know, anyone who commits such an egregious act belongs behind bars, and that's, that's what the law allows now. But let's look at the bigger point. I mean, seriously, when you have people like a Daryl Brooks, when you have people like whoever the monster or monsters are that murdered this 12-year-old girl, why in the world should we simply say, okay, you're going to prison for the rest of your life, and the taxpayers are going to support you, and they're going to educate you, and they're going to provide you with TV and exercise facilities and all? Aren't there certain crimes? And I would argue that the murder of a 12-year-old girl fits into that category. Haven't we reached the point as a society where we say enough is enough with some of these egregious monsters? And if you're going to gun down a 12-year-old girl in cold blood, boom, you should face the ultimate penalty. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. What do you think? 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, I, I just... We, we, we now, we're starting to hear the facts, and there might be more details that are emerging, but you have a 12-year-old girl that was gunned down in cold blood last night at about 6 o'clock on 38th and Roar, which is, again, you know, just to the west of, of Lincoln Park, for goodness sakes. Um, the, the, apparently, the, the reason this happened is you had a bunch of lowlifes who were hanging out at an abandoned lot, a vacant lot, or whatever, across the street from the house. The mother, you know, confronted them. You can see this lady going, hey, what are you doing? Just stop this, you know? And the response is to pull out a firearm or firearms and open fire hail of bullets. They found at least, at least 15 shell casings. And, you know, witnesses describing this as just, you know, boom, 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 kill a 12-year-old girl in cold blood. My guess, again, is it's not the first time at the rodeo for these people that were involved in that. But if it turns out to be the case, explain to me why we do not have a death penalty in this state. Jeff, really? Face the ultimate penalty? They don't even put these thugs in jail. They certainly aren't going to give them a death sentence. Well, maybe... Maybe that's why, one of the reasons why we have so many thugs that are out there that don't think anything about pulling out a gun and killing people. Um, Yes, um, Jeff, it's sad to hear yet another story of a child being killed for no reason, followed by the platitude by the mayor, not backed up by any actual action. Catch them, throw them in prison, throw away the key. Um, Yes, Jeff, I can get, I promise you the guns or guns are stolen. I can also guarantee you that the punks are ages 12 to 18. I will also bet money that we find out more. We're going to be asking more open one more question, which is why were they not in jail? Well, I think that's that's a that is a pretty good guess. That's what we find a lot of times. You know, how many times do we have this situation where people have been through the system? They've been chance after chance after chance. Maybe they're out on bail. Maybe they're out on probation, whatever it is, and, and they're out there gunning down people. Jeff, you can have all the laws and deterrence you want, but these people have guns and nothing to lose. They've checked out of our society. Well, okay, that that may be. And, and by the way, when I argue about the death penalty, for the death penalty, I'm not even arguing whether it's a deterrent or not. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I'm arguing that if you gun down a 12-year-old girl at 6 o'clock at night in cold blood, I am arguing that an appropriate penalty for taking that life is to have society do the same. And I just, I firmly believe that. Give them all the due process you want. Make sure that the person that's been convicted is the person that did it. But um, the bottom line is, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's what I believe. All right, 
888-528-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, let's start with Danny in Janesville. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I'm for the death penalty. Always have been. But here's the problem. The, the reality just isn't there. You know, it doesn't work. And the idea that, number one, it's not the deterrence it's meant to be. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help that you have situations like, for example, remember Richard Ramirez, the, the Night Stalker. Okay, he killed so many people in cold blood, admitted to it. You know, everybody knew, yes, he's the guy. He's put on death row for, what, 30 years and mm-hmm. then dies in natural causes. Yep. And, but, you know, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just go ahead and, okay, they have the trial, they're found guilty, hang them the next day? Well, you can't do that because they could be exonerated for, you know, DNA reasons or, you know, whatever, found out that they're actually innocent. Well, Danny, I mean, thanks. I mean, well, no, here's here's my, thanks to call. Here's my response to that. I know, I I don't think that the minute you convict somebody, then you execute them the next day. But I, I agree with you that justice delayed is justice denied. And I agree with you that the idea of somebody sitting on death row for 25 or 30 years is just, it, it defeats any sort of purpose that you might have, either punishment for the murderer or a deterrent effect for somebody else, which is why I think death penalty cases, and I've always argued this, I think that they should get rapid but extensive review. That is, okay, you are convicted, boom, we're going to fast-track these. All right, you've got the appeals. All right, if you want to argue that the, I don't know, that there was, that there was a DNA thing, okay, that, that's, that's fine. And nowadays that we do have the DNA evidence and stuff like that, it, it makes the chances of wrongful conviction dramatically less. But I'm not saying take away people's due process, but I do think that you, you have this expedited thing. This is a death penalty case. It's going to get a priority. Raise all the issues, looking at the fairness of the trial and things like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it explain, I'm still waiting to hear this explanation as to why somebody who guns down a 12-year-old girl in cold blood, I mean, why we just say, oh, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. We want to put you behind bars for a while. Well, Okay, there's a 12-year-old girl who's never going to see another sunrise because she had the misfortune to be out playing in her backyard when one or more of these yahoos decided that they were going to open up and shoot at her mother, I presume, again, this is the mother, and and the child. And this kid is dead, for goodness sakes. Um, Let's talk to... Let's see, Alan. Alan in Dodge County. Alan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon. Uh, I entirely agree with a death penalty in cases of this. I think they should, like you say, be expedited, and any appeal process should be limited to one shot out of the cannon (laughs) at it, and if they're still found guilty, they should be dispatched as quick as reasonably possible. This is just whether it deters anyone else from doing it is sort of immaterial, but you and me and the rest of the taxpayers don't need to support these uh, murders until they, these murders until they die of old age. That's, that's ridiculous. It's costing us more to keep them imprisoned than it does uh, for somebody to go to uh, 
college for a year. Oh, oh yeah, there's no question. Thank, thanks for calling. And now you're talking about, let, let's let say, just for the sake of argument, that, that the shooter, I don't know, let's say the shooter is 18 years old. Okay, so now we are talking about life in prison without parole. So, I don't know, what's the life expectancy? 50 years? I mean, 60 years? Unless, of course, Tony Evers' parole commission gets a chance to figure out a way to release the person early or something. But but the the, the bigger point about all this is, and again, I'm with you, Alan. I don't care. I don't care about the deterrence argument. I, I just think it is appropriate punishment. And I don't necessarily feel that way in every homicide case. Now, if you want to argue about the flaw in my intellectual reasoning, I, I do think this is what the Supreme Court has said, that there needs to be some sort of extraneous circumstance. And in this case, the murder and cold blood of a 12-year-old child certainly qualifies for that. So I, I, I know this is a priority. The problem that the Milwaukee police have and is that there are so many homicides. There are so many homicides. What are we at, like 170 or something? I'll pull it up during the break. There's so many homicides that, that clearing them, they, they used to do a great job of clearing them. Well, now the fact that we, we have fewer, thank you, Tom Barrett, we have fewer cops that are on the street, fewer detectives that are there to clear the homicides, and dramatically more homicides, it, it, it's tougher. But I, I do hope, and I, I look, I, I think the new police chief, Jeff Norman, does a pretty good job with, with the hand he's been dealt. I, I, I hope that this is a priority. I hope members of the community are as outraged as, well, many of us are about this. I hope people are coming forward, because if this is true, if these are the, these punks or thugs or whatever term you want to use that are hanging out at this abandoned lot, everybody in the neighborhood's got to know who they are. So, I mean, the police, I got to assume, knows who was involved in this shooting. Neighbors know who was involved in this shooting. And if anybody is harboring them, they should be ashamed of themselves and be prosecuted. This is one where everybody in the community should be coming together to get these monsters off the street as soon as possible. So hopefully, hopefully by the time I start the show tomorrow at noon, hopefully we'll have good news and the people responsible for this murder will be in prison. We'll at least be at least in jail waiting to see if they're released on bail or some form of detention. But this is this goes back to this broken windows thing. You ignore the little stuff, and what happens? You get a 12-year-old girl that's dead. I have 60 on Saturday with rain. Yeah. Chance of rain. Chance of rain. High of 60. Would hmm. you rather have 60 and rainy or 54 and sunny with some frost? Those are our two options. Well, I'd rather have 70 because <laughs> I, I've been promising for the last month or so to take my brother and my nephew to play golf. We made arrangements in a tea time, and I, I and we both agreed that I said, well, if it's going to be really cold, we'll, we'll pass. But I don't know. That's uh, the high of 60, so that's probably like in Waukesha or something. And um, huh. Okay, well, well, maybe we'll I'm sorry on the bearer of bad news. No, I, I'm not. Look, I, I blame you for many things, <laughs> and I, partly that's because you have broad shoulders, and I know you can handle it, but I'm not holding you responsible for, for what goes on on Saturday. When we come back, I hear you. I know you want somebody to make it stop. I just don't think that we can do it. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Hey, Wisconsin, can you feel it? <laughs> Baldy and I were just talking about it. It's getting colder outside. And you know what that means? It means it is time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. You can find out more by visiting their website at PellaWI.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I, I, 
it is it is not unique to Wisconsin, but there's a lot of this going on in Wisconsin because we are a battleground state. Uh, to a matter of fact, tomorrow at noon, the latest Marquette University Law School poll will will drop, and it'll give us at least their snapshot. The the there's been a number of polls out, and again, I understand lots of people are kind of you know, do we believe polls or not? The the trend is that the Evers-Michaels race is pretty much dead even. Um, the last six or seven polls, I think pretty much, it's certainly within the margin of error. The polls at this point in time show that Ron Johnson has pulled a bit ahead. Um, he's like, the average is like three points. But in the Marquette poll will give us another another indicator of of that as to whether the race has moved. And again, to me, one of the interesting things with the polls is is not that you believe the numbers necessarily, but you believe trend lines. You know, if you have a number of polls that are starting to coalesce and say the, the same results, it, it tends to indicate that, okay, may, maybe that's what's going on. And I understand there's some people don't believe polls in general, but the next Marquette Law School poll drops at noon. We are also going to be joined at the start of the one o'clock hour by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, and we'll talk about a number of issues. And, and yes, let me save you the efforts on your keyboards. If Mandela Barnes wants to come on this program, and I have been saying this for the last couple months, Mandela Barnes is welcome to come on this program. I make a public invitation. I will also tell you that I I think there's no way in God's green earth that Mandela Barnes is going to come on this program, but he's welcome. So don't send me emails saying, well, are you going to extend the invitation? Yes, I publicly extend the invitation. And if Mandela Barnes' people want to reach out in response to this, and that's that's how this happens. Tim Michaels' people reach out and say, hey, can we get him on the air? And I say, yes, Tony Evers wants to come on this program. He is more than welcome. There is the public invitation, but I'm not holding my breath. So I don't need the text. I don't need the email saying, well, are you going to invite him on? Because my answer is yes, I've just invited him on. Again, I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for them to accept. But Ron Johnson will be joining me at the start of the 1 o'clock hour on tomorrow's program. Okay, um, I, as I was starting to say, the um, I was in Las Vegas over the weekend. Nevada, just like Wisconsin, is a battleground state. And in Nevada, that is, is viewed by Republicans as a, a chance to pick up a Senate seat. And so there's, I mean, every, every time you turned on the television, I mean, you saw five or six or seven ads in a row um, for the, the Senate race or for the governor's race as well. It, it's a just like in Wisconsin, it's a very, very close race. And uh, from the Democrats, all you heard was abortion. I mean, it was like three, four, five abortion ads in a row. This and it, it's the it's the same ads that you're seeing about Tim Michaels and, and Ron Johnson, regardless of what Johnson's real position is on abortion. It's just like, oh, they're they're gonna lock up women and all that sort of stuff. So it's one after another. That's what Democrats are running on because I think they're reluctant to run on other issues like inflation or crime and things like that. On the Republican side, you, you hear the ads, whether on the radio or the television, and they're they're focusing on crime. They're focusing on the economy. Um, I think you're going to see, I, I think, a turn to maybe some education issues as the election gets closer. But we are four weeks from today, and if you think you have seen and or heard a lot of ads thus far, I'm here to tell you that you ain't seen or heard nothing yet, because if these races remain as close as I think they are going to be, 
you're going to just see an incredible influx of money. And it's not just going to be from the candidates. It, it's going to be from the, the special interest groups. During the last break, the NRA had an ad for you know Tim Michaels. It's going to be for special interest groups, and you'll hear them on both sides. So far in the Michaels, um, in the Michaels-Evers race, Michaels has been dramatically outspent. Um, dramatically outspent by by Tony Evers, and yet that race is 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 even. Mandela Barnes just says he's raised X million dollars. He won't say how much he still has left, but you know there, there's going to be a lot of money probably spent on that race as well because these are very very close races. So for those of you who are tired of the ads, I, it, it's going to be a long month because you're going to hear a lot more. I understand people are frustrated, but every once in a while, there is an ad that ends up breaking through the clutter. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I kind of tune out when I hear the abortion ads now. I mean, I, I understand that that's the issue Democrats are running on, but it's kind of like, oh, okay, I, I get it. Um, I, and I think, you know, the people that are going to vote on abortion being their only issue, they're, they're – they know how they're going to vote one way or the other. I think you can make the same argument maybe about some of the Republican-run ads. But every once in a while, there's an ad that cuts through the clutter, and that's what I want to talk to you about. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. In this political season, is there one ad? It can be a positive ad. It can be a negative ad. Is there one ad that, that is, has been memorable to you. It can be in the governor's race. It can be in the Senate race. I guess you know it could be in the AG's race. Uh, there's been a lot less advertising there. Maybe you've seen a congressional ad or something. But is there one ad, again, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. Is there one ad that you think has kind of cut through all the clutter, cut through the white noise, and really stands out to you as being a particularly effective one? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Is there one that you really remember? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, look, I, I, I understand. I'm trying not to sound hypocritical about this. I understand that people kind of like have headed up to here with, with ads. I also understand that the radio station that I work for makes a lot of money when you hear those different ads that run in the spot breaks. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not criticizing the candidates for running the ads. I'm, I'm like, bring it on. That that's just kind of the reality, but there is just, just so much clutter that's out there. I, I admit that when it comes to the abortion ads, I just I just tune out. I, I mean, it's like one after another, and it's, it's saying sort of the same thing. So, but th- but that's just me. Is there an ad that particularly, and it can be positive, it can be negative. Is there an ad that that cuts through and really, you know, at least gets your attention? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Scott in Racine. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um, there's a couple that bother me, but there's one where they, Mandela, um, people run an ad that says that Ron Johnson's running, um, ads that's lying about him. And then they don't say anything about what they're lying about. Yeah. They just say they're lying about whatever, and then nothing. Yeah. yeah so it gets your attention. Um, yeah. I got it. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot of that stuff that, that's 
kind of out there, and you can make the argument that it's out there on on both sides. I I, I do think one of the interesting things, and and again, abortion is the Democrat playbook now, and actually Ron Johnson is extremely moderate when it comes to the the issue of abortion. I mean, he's he's with Tony Evers calling for a state referendum to allow the state to decide, and yet I'm still seeing the same cookie-cutter ads. Well, he wants to lock women up. Well, you know, that's not the position that he's staked out. But again, it's kind of like, okay, this is this is the national strategy. And it's like one out of every three ads that Democrats run across the country are, are related to abortion. And my guess is in Wisconsin, it's probably even more than that. Jeff, the political ad that really caught my attention this season was the one regarding Mandela Barnes not paying his property taxes. Um, although I'm admittedly a Republican, um, I have issues with this. Um, Jeff, the ads are only for people who haven't made up their minds. My experience is those individuals don't do their homework into what is and isn't false. Um, I think the best ad is the lady that puts Mandela Barnes in an interview. Not sure which one that they're, they're talking about there. But, well, I mean, here, yes and no. The ads aren't only for undecided voters. That, that's, that's, that's true to an extent, but not always, because what happens is if you if you support a candidate, see, it's you, you want to get your supporters out to out to vote. Right. And if you're let's say that you're a Mandela Barnes voter, okay, you're going to vote for Mandela Barnes or Tony, you're going to vote for Tony Evers and, and Tony Evers is just not on the airwaves. And, you know, there, there's no campaign presence. There's nothing going on. And all you're seeing is Tim Michaels ads every time you turn on the, the TV. That, that tends to depress the Evers voter. It's like, OK, where, where is the Evers campaign here? And it makes people potentially less likely to go out and vote. And the same thing could be true with Michaels. I mean, I'm just using Evers as an example there. So that's why it's not just the ads that are targeted at the undecided voters. The ads are also targeted at supporters making sure they are motivated to go out and vote, making sure they stay motivated to go out and vote. And and maybe, what did Tommy Thompson always used to say? Okay, call your family, call your friends, call your relatives, you know, encourage those people to vote because this is all about turnout. A day from Racine says, I completely turn out the ads. They are way too negative. Um, Jeff, I just saw one yesterday. It was a spoof on the TV series Law and Order. Very creative. That's an ad that's being run by uh, the Republican attorney general candidate, the DA in Fond du Lac, Tony. He's, he's running that ad. Um, Jeff, I, I think the newer ad for the AG that looks like an intro to Law and Order and portrays Josh Call as being all about the most opposite of Law and Order, I think that's creative and it's refreshing. Uh, Jeff, no ads stand out to me. I tune them out. Give me Reagan's Morning in America Act. That, you know, that, that was a great ad. You know, one of, to that point, I, you know, if, if I were to answer this question, I think one of the ads, let's just take a positive ad that really stands out to me. And they started, the Johnson campaign started running it, I think at the end of September. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they bring something back. But, you know, for the last year, you had, you know, one shadowy, dark money group after another that was running just horrible ads about Ron Johnson. Oh, he's a crook. He's, you know, he's taking all this money. He's doing all this stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And the ad that they ran featuring his daughter, who was talking about, you know, Ron Johnson's background, and this is, you know, how he grew up, and, you know, it turns out to be my dad. I thought that was an incredibly 
it was a positive ad, and I thought it was a really, really good response to some of the negative stuff that was out there. And if the Johnson campaign were listening to me and taking my advice, I, I would say I'd bring back a variation of that, and I'd start to run it in the mix as you get closer to the election. Because typically, the strategy that you see people employ is you, you go negative, and then you kind of, you know, try to. Re- beat down the positives of the other candidate, and then at the end you come back and you try to give people a reason to vote for you. So I, 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 that's an ad that I think stuck out in in my mind. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the ad I am remembering the most is the Michaels ad about the past sexual assault allegations at his company, probably because those topics have been so relevant in media for the past few years. Yeah, that's, um, I, I think... I think that's, at least in my opinion, I, I think that ad is is borderline despicable. That's the one where, you know, in 22 years that Tim Michaels has run this company, a company that currently employs 8,000 people, they, they've had they've had five sexual harassment suits so over 22 years, spread over the entire country, maybe over the entire world, only one of which was in Wisconsin. And by the way, we don't even know how those, those turned out. We don't know whether there was ultimately merit in these claims. But I, I will tell you, as somebody whose late wife specialized in doing management employment law, for, for lots of big companies, five claims of sexual harassment, and that's all they are, claims, that, that's, that's a Monday. That's not 22 years. And, but I understand people don't necessarily know that, and you want to end up taking that kind of uh, cheap shot. Um, Jeff, um, the one ad I saw early on, I wanted to yell at a person, was the one that showed the parade with the SUV going through it. Um, I believe that that was incredibly insensitive. So that was a negative ad I think was being run against. I'm not sure if it was being run against Barnes or Tony Evers. The best positive ad I saw, the economy one that shows each family paying $2,000 for student reimbursement. Um, and then the negative ad discussing the Michaels company <clears throat> allowing sexual harassment. Yeah, that's so they saw that one as well. Um, let's see. The Again, so this is this is what's going on. Jeff, I like the Michael's Kitchen Sink ad, positive, meaningful, and memorable. I mean, that's that's the key. Jeff, I like the ad where Barnes is in a mock interview, and it's pointed out that he lists his parents' accomplishment, but none of his own. I find this ad very effective in showing his lack of personal accomplishments. Well, if you like the political ads, all I can tell you is, hang on, because four weeks from today is when the election is. The open voting starts at about two, a little over two weeks from now. And so this this is really the prime time because by the time Election Day rolls around, a lot of people will have already cast their votes. So if you're tired of the ads, all I can tell you is just you're going to kind of have to wait because as long as these races are as close as they are, I guarantee you, you're going to see incredible amount of local spending, state spending, and an incredible amount of national spending because – for the Democrats to take control of the Senate, they probably need to defeat Ron Johnson. For the Republicans to take control of the Senate, Ron Johnson needs to win. And um, the governor's race, well, who knows where that's going to turn out. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. So Mike Spaulding, I outsmarted myself, I, I think. So yesterday, after the program, I had to run out and I had to go to Walgreens, where I was had made arrangements to get both a flu shot and my COVID booster. 
So sure. I, I'm thinking, okay, that this would be. So I, I go in and and it's fine. And the young lady who was administering the shot says, okay, do you want both? Do you want one in one arm and one in the other? And if so, which ones? Or do you want both shots in the same arm? And I said, both shots in the same arm. She said, well, yeah, because then it's going to be sore, but you'll only be sore on one with one arm. And so, okay, if you were presented with that choice, which way do you go? I think I'm going same arm, I think. You're going same arm. Yeah, just kill my one arm. Well, for that, the that was next the that, that was the idea. And she said, Well, that way, you know, if, if it gets sore, they sleep. Now, I, I was sitting there thinking, well, the the COVID booster, I mean, I had my two COVID shots, I had the booster, so this is the second one. That did make my arm sore, but I'm thinking flu shot. Normally, I have no nothing at all with the flu shot. So, okay, I said, no, no, I, I want them in separate arms. I'm right-handed. Give me the flu shot in the right arm. Give me the COVID shot in the left arm, um, and I'll, I'll figure it's not going to really debilitate me. Wrong. <laughs> it's they're, they're both sore as hell. So you just can't lift anything. You're just walking around, uh, just, just arms down. It, it, was, it was fine last night. It was fine this morning. But as I have been sitting here, I'm going, huh, my arms both really kind of <laughs> hurt. So... Um, I, I, hopefully my wife won't decide to punch me in the arm or something this this evening. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, just, be nice this right, afternoon, right? Exactly. Just you know, don't don't bang that. So I, yeah. You, so you would have gone the, the both in one arm. Yeah, I think so because, like I said, no. I, I would rather just have one gone and yeah. Well, that limp around sort that, of right. That 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 makes sense. <laughs> I I went the other route and I am now paying for it at this moment. But you know, we will. We will endeavor to persevere. This is a great story about failing up. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I posted this yesterday. One, one of the issues in the governor's race is the absolute debacle that, that Tony Evers has made with regard to parole in Wisconsin. Now, now here's, here's the facts. You know, Tony Evers stands by his pronouncement four years ago that he wants to reduce the prison population in Wisconsin by half. That's what he said. There's only two ways you do that. One is you release people who are in prison, and the second way is you don't send as many people to prison. That, that's the, the only way you reduce the prison population in half, period. And, and so how do you do that? Well, you appoint judges— who aren't going to send as many people to prison. So that's what Evers is doing on the one hand. Let's appoint people who aren't likely to send people to prison. So fewer people coming in, that helps reduce the the number of people that are in prison. Secondly, it's let's turn people loose. And so you have a parole commission which has been aggressive, and this is the subject of a number of ads, that has been releasing people for whom you know, they, they should not be out. They, these are people that committed the worst of the worst crimes, and they are being released on discretionary paroles. Why? Because that is Evers' philosophy. The guy that was the head of the Evers Parole Commission until there was a, a political scandal was a guy named John Tate, who is a you know liberal kind of social worker guy from from Racine. He was the head of the Evers Parole Commission, and he was doing Evers' bidding. They were very, very aggressive in releasing people on parole. And, you know, we, we talked about a couple of the cases they, they had where they were inclined to turn people loose. And we also discussed, you know, the impact this was having on the families. And in some cases, they were releasing people without notifying the, the victims' families and things like that. It was just absolutely appalling. And And finally, it got to a point where one of the guys that they wanted to— release, 
guy named Douglas Balsowitz, who had served less than 25 years on an 80-year sentence for fatally stabbing his wife in front of, of their children. This finally got enough attention, and Evers then put a halt to it. But it's only because it was an election year, in my opinion. It's only because it was an election year and he was getting all sorts of heat. He ended up saying, no, we're not going to do this. And then subsequently he he dumped this John Tate. Now, I, I think, you know, John Tate was left holding the bag. I think John Tate, this is the guy's orientation. He was there to fulfill the mission that Tony Evers had of releasing people from prison. And so I think he was just doing what Evers wanted him to do. But Evers needed a fall guy because he was getting bad heat for this. So he, he cut, you know, Tate loose. My point was always that if you, um, if he got if Evers gets reelected, and once he's got another four years, I, I think you're going to see exactly the same thing happen. You know, you're going to start seeing people being paroled willy-nilly because he won't be afraid that he's going to get voted out. And I was always saying, hey, don't be surprised if either John Tate makes a comeback or somebody like John Tate makes a comeback because once Tony Evers doesn't have the re-election pressure, if he is in fact re-elected, it's going to be Katie bar the door and you're going to have more and more of these people and Evers is going to essentially say, well, nothing you can do to me. You know, you knew where I was and you still decided to re-elect me. That's why this is a big issue for Tim Michaels and why it should be moving forward. Well, there was one thing that I guess I was wrong on, because I thought that if Evers was reelected, there was a chance that he might reinstitute John Tate. Because like I say, John Tate, I think, was really only doing what Evers wanted him to do. But Tate became the fall guy. But I, I confess now, I think I was wrong, because I don't think John Tate is going to be coming back to head the parole commission if Tony Evers is somehow elected to a second term. Why? Because... John Tate has just been hired by the city of Madison for a five-year contract at $125,000 a year to fill in the role. He has been chosen to be the city's first independent police monitor. So if you will recall, what, what happened is in the aftermath of like the George Floyd stuff and all, there, there was the, the, the Madison City Council, I mean, just kind of like freaked out and, and they, they were hearing all the defund the police people and, and you know, all that and says, OK, well, what we're going to do is we're going to create a, a monitor. You know, they'd gotten this recommendation a couple years earlier, but it was the George Floyd shooting that, that then motivated them to take action. OK, we're going to create a monitor who will watch over the Madison Police Department, even though the consultant that did this report said the Madison Police Department was far from a department in crisis whose use of force was limited in volume and primarily minor in nature. But nevertheless, this board decided, oh, well, we have to appease some of the people out and some of the loud complainers about the cops in Madison, so we will create this board. The monitor, all right, is not given the power to fire or discipline police, thank God. But the monitor can conduct independent investigations of Madison police, make referrals to the police fire and commission, police and fire commission, prepare an annual report on the city's police chief, and conduct community outreach on police matters. So in any event, the guy that got fired from the parole commission because he was too liberal, too liberal for Tony Evers. 
in turning people, dangerous people, loose, Madison now is going to hire him, 125 grand a year, five years, to be the one that reviews the police department and determines whether their actions with regard to the community is appropriate. This raises the question of, of all the people in the state of Wisconsin, of all the people that you could find, whether it's criminal law professors or or judges or attorneys, prosecutors, criminal defense attorneys, is it really the only guy that you could find, the best choice you could find, is John Tate II, who had been bounced out of the state parole commission because of a philosophy of releasing too many dangerous people. So now he's the guy they're putting in charge of essentially monitoring the actions of the Madison Police Department. Why anybody, law-abiding citizen, would want to live in Madison is just absolutely beyond me, and why anybody would want to sign up for law enforcement in, in Madison continues to be beyond me, because now John Tate, the friend of and the releaser of lots and lots of people who should have been in prison for longer periods of time, he is now going to be the one that's going to be assessing the appropriateness of Madison police conduct. Of all the people you could find in the state of Wisconsin or in this country to pay $125,000 a year to over a five-year period, John Tate is the best they can come up with. All I can say is, wow. Okay, saying I'm sorry enough. I don't know if you were um, watching the Monday night football game last night. It was between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs won by one point at the end of the game. Devontae Adams, who, of course, was Packer for a number of years, uh, left the Packers saying that he didn't want to play in Green Bay anymore, wanted to go catch passes from his college teammate, the um, the quarterback of, of the Raiders, Derek Carr. And so far, it hasn't worked out very well. Car Adams is having an okay year, but it, it, the Raiders are one and four, and, and they're losing a bunch of games. And I think what he's finding is that you know having Derek Carr throwing passes is not like having Aaron Rodgers throwing passes. So it's a frustrating season. They're one and four. They lose a game by a point yesterday, and the last play of the game was this weird one where. The, the two Raider receivers, Devontae Adams and, and one other one whose name is escaping me at the moment, they, they somehow they, they run, one of them screws up on a pattern or whatever, and they bump into each other and fall down. You know, and they're looking for pass interference calls, but if you look at the the two of them ran into each other and fall down. So anyhow, it's, it's a one-point loss. Adams storms off the field. He takes his helmet. He throws it onto the ground, and then he starts heading for the, the locker room, get ready to go into the tunnel. There There's a... A sound guy, you know, who's who's there. He's one of the, you know, one of the credentialed people who's there to, to cover the game. It's a guy there with a microphone, and he he kind of stands in front of Adams. And what Adams does is he he pushes him. I, I mean, and I'm not talking about you know just you know putting his hand on his shoulder and you know and push and you know urging him gently out of the way. What Adams does is he just hauls back, there's this cameraman there, and he, he shoves him. It's a shove, and the cameraman goes butt over tea kettle and, and goes flying onto the ground. And then Adams you know, goes into the locker room. He's now issued a, a statement on Twitter, sorry to the guy I pushed over after the game, obviously very frustrated at the way the game ended, and when he ran in front of me 
As I exited, that was my reaction. I felt horrible immediately. That's not me. I apologize. I, I hope you see this. And so that's it. I don't know. I was watching. I'm not sure he really ran in front of him, but that's what they do. You know, they're, they're, they're cameramen. That's what their job is. They're, they're there to get these pictures. And anyhow, in any event, Adam says he's sorry that he knocked the guy over. And he did it intentionally. This wasn't, hey, I bumped into him. This was, I mean, he, he meant to push him over, and he pushed him hard. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Just one segment. But having having watched this, and you, you might want to argue that, well, I mean, he it was an emotional situation and the cameraman kind of got close to him. But my question is this. Is there any way in the world that the NFL doesn't suspend Adams for at least one game? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I mean, it, it seems to me pretty clearly that... The, the cameraman was entitled to be where he was, and you cannot have players getting physical with, with anybody on, on the sidelines. And, you know, that's just, I understand it's the end of the game. I understand it's a bad season so far for the Las Vegas Raiders. I understand he's frustrated, but I don't know. I just don't think players get to behave like that. And the cameraman was entitled to be there. Adams pushed him. He pushed him hard. The guy fell down. He's lucky that the cameraman wasn't hurt because, again, he he went down and he went down hard. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I don't think an apology is enough. I think the NFL needs to suspend Devontae Adams for, I don't want to overreact, but at least a game without pay. You can't be assaulting people on the sidelines who are essentially just doing their job. Can you? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. A couple of people are saying that the guy was a sound man. No, he wasn't. He was a a photographer, and that's why they're calling him cameraman in the report. But the the question is, okay, you know, as a matter of fact, the the update is that the guy who was pushed down has filed a police report. He says he was injured. He was later transported to the hospital. I don't know if that changes it or not, but I I guess here's the bottom line for me. Um, Devontae Adams, who I, I think, I mean, I understand people say, well, I think he's a class act. Okay, that, that's, that's the bottom, that might be fine. But Adams was out of line, and, you know, players can't assault, and that's what it was. When you push somebody down, it is an assault. You can't assault credentialed people who are standing on the sidelines. And, you know, Adams leaves football fields all the time. He knows that there are people all over the place going in every direction. Um, if if he didn't think he could control his emotions, maybe he should have, in my opinion, stayed in the bench area until he, he calmed down and can do it. But you can't go pushing, you know, people who are entitled to, to be there. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't a, a gentle uh, can you get out of my way, sir? I'm trying to get to the locker room. I mean, he was mad, and he pushed him in anger. Jeff, if anyone else did this, they'd be arrested and charged with assault. If you want to say that there's a privileged group in society, pro athletes might be your best, you know, um, bet. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I was half hoping the Raiders would win, but not after the way Adams acted. He pushed a guy in the game, too. Just because you play football doesn't mean you can push people around. He definitely should not have played at least one game for that 
behavior. Jeff, it was clear that he shoved the guy in frustration. Adams does seem to be a usually nice guy, but he definitely needs some kind of punishment for this behavior to send a message to all players that the behavior is not okay and will not tolerate it. The man he shoved did nothing wrong, was simply a victim of Adams' frustration. These are simply strong guys who surely could easily hurt someone badly. Yeah, that you look, you don't have to, in my opinion, reach a conclusion that you don't. You don't have to come in and say, "Okay, Devontae Adams is a bad guy or a good guy." Or right, that, that's not the question. The question is, did he do something bad? And he did. And does he need to be punished? And the absolute the answer is, yeah. Because do do we say, okay, if there's somebody that has the perception of of being a thug who does that, and you're going to suspend him for doing that? No, but we're only going to find Devontae Adams twenty five thousand dollars or whatever. You can't. You you cannot do that. Um, you know, Jeff, I've competed against world-class athletes. The best athlete that I've ever known are the ones that act appropriately, winning or losing. No excuse for poor behavior on or off the, you know, playing field. Many young people look up to Adams and are wearing Adams's jersey. His actions last night let them down. Jeff, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Um, that's it. Jeff, I normally disagree with you, but I agree with you on this one. You can't do that in any other workplace without some form of suspension. Well, I think that there's, you know, an an element to that. And again, I'm not, I am not arguing that you suspend him for the rest of the season, but he pushed a photographer down. That's what happened. Now, the guy's gone to the hospital. He's filed a police report. I take no position on whether there should be criminal charges. But, yes, if you're working out of your workplace, if I'm, if I'm frustrated with something that happens on this radio show and I'm walking out our door here and I, I go out into our, our, the food hall and there's somebody who's in my way or wants to take my photograph and I push the person and they go flying butt over tea kettle and end up falling down, I guarantee you that I'm going to get a visit from the Milwaukee Police Department because that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable if I do it. It's not acceptable if you do it. And it's not acceptable if Devontae Adams does it. And just because he's making millions of dollars and he's catching passes and he's frustrated because the Las Vegas Raiders suck, that's not a justification to assault somebody. And yeah, for people who are texting me saying, what do you mean it's an assault? Yes, you push somebody to the ground. That's what we call an assault. Mike Spaulding, I think you should, after your shift today, go on a plane, fly out to Las Vegas, and and make a couple bets because— you are a man of vision and ability to, to see the future. And I just want to acknowledge this. At During, I, I think it was 1230, your screen had frozen up and you gave like Wall Street reports where you, you had the Dow down, you had the NASDAQ down. Yeah, I was all negative. And, and, I, and I corrected you because apparently your screen had frozen because I'm looking at the, the thing and the, the stock market was up. The, the Dow was actually was up and the NASDAQ was up. And, and I actually said, okay, it's not that bad. It looks better. Well, Okay, you were wrong at 1230, but it was only because you have a vision of the future because uh, now the Dow is, in fact, uh, down. Dow's down 150, and the NASDAQ is down um, more than that. Like uh, NASDAQ's down like 150, the Dow— Oh, now the Dallas is it's back to even. It's bouncing. Now, now it's over. down five and a half. That's yeah, the problem with the stocks. They move too much. They, they just move. They just move. <laughs> but, but my point is, you know, it was up 300. You had it taking a plunge, and I just corrected you because you were wrong at the time, but you are right in the big picture. So I guess my question is, like, like, like who do you like for the Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, put, put that, I'm, I'm going to look into the future and know, you knew what, you knew what was going to happen to the NASDAQ, you know? You That'll just, be a, 
that'll be our off-air conversation, Jeff. And then who knows? After the Super Bowl weekend, we might not come back. It, well, exactly. That's it. Or, or pick that. You just you know, walk by that Wheel of Fortune machine when you know you're just ready to hit that <laughs> thing. So I, you know, you were the stock market is just really up and down because it was up 300 points and then it was just down 150. Now it's back to pretty much even. That's the Dow. The Nasdaq is uh, not doing quite as well, but. You were just you were just a man ahead of your time, and I respect that. Oh, I, th- I appreciate that. I appreciate that. When we come back, all right, it's number 10 in the area. I will share that with you, and I'm going to ask what the secret is. Stick around. Or committee, nrapvf.org. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I do not eat as much fast food as I used to. Matter of fact, I I rarely eat fast food because my wife does not think it is good for me. And I always, almost always try to do things that she, she's listening. She's going, yeah, like he listens to me on that. But I I really try to avoid the the fast food stuff. But there's fast food and there is fast food. I grew up in Glendale, went to Nicolet High School and along Port Washington Road, it used to be Restaurant Row. Right now, there's there's a, a cop's custard stand, and there was a restaurant that when I was growing up, it was a big boy, and then it was a Perkins Pancake House, and now it's it's something else. And immediately to the south, and then the other side of the street, there's a McDonald's, and there's an Arby's, and there's a Taco Bell. So, I mean, it's just like little, this, this little fast food heaven. If you're looking for some form of fast food and you can't find it on Port Washington Road immediately south of Silver Spring, you're not trying. Well, anyhow, into the mix comes Chick-fil-A. When I was a kid, there was a place called Barnaby's Pizza, and it used to be a, a chain. And I, I can—I've told the story before, but I mean, I, we used to—we used to go there all the time, and just used to love it. And I, I was so excited because there's like two Barnaby's pizzas left in the country, and both are in Northern Illinois. And one time, a couple of years back, we're going down to the Arlington racetrack that is now gone, and. We took my, my brother, and my brother and I went, and we took his kids, and we were telling we're going to find, we're going to stop at this Barnaby's restaurant. And so we go into the Barnaby's restaurant, and they were both looking at us like we were, were nuts, because it, it did, it was very, very reminiscent of, you know, the Barnaby's in 1979 or whatever, but maybe my tastes have changed or whatever. But what appeal, whatever appealed to me when I was a teenager, it, it just, it wasn't the same. But anyhow, at that site of where the old Barnaby's is, or right by there, um, Glendale now has yet another fast food restaurant. And they're opening up on Friday a Chick-fil-A. But the Chick-fil-A is going to be drive-through only. You, you cannot go in and you cannot, you know, you, you can't go in and you, you can't, you know, buy in the lobby. Drive-through only. Um, you can order food in person or on the uh in the Chick-fil-A app, but you've got to go through the, the drive through Monday through Saturday, and Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. The restaurants bring you approximately 120 full and part-time jobs to Glendale. Okay, but but here's, here is the deal. Um, because they anticipate that there is going to be such a line, the restaurant is going to have an off-duty police patrol on opening day to mitigate traffic. In anticipation of the opening, Chick-fil-A has created a traffic plan where the right lane of traffic heading south on Port Washington Road will be for Chick-fil-A customers only. So the, the, the idea is essentially they're going to they're gonna really close a line of traffic on one of the, the major, you know, major north-south arteries. In this case, it's, it's in Glendale. They're going to close this 
um, because they anticipate that there's going to be so much traffic, so many people wanting to get into Chick-fil-A. Now, this is not the first Chick-fil-A in the area. Matter of fact, I can remember, gosh, I remember the the first Chick-fil-A, I want to say it was in Brookfield, now, somebody might correct me, but I, I remember when they opened the first restaurant, Chick-fil-A had this great marketing idea. They, they didn't want to buy advertising, but what they did is they, they'd, they'd go around all the radio stations and they'd give free sandwiches. And the idea was, they're, they're, it's like, okay, the, the hosts will say, oh, they just brought a free sandwich from Chick, they just brought a sandwich from Chick-fil-A and I really love it. And so they, you know, they, they, they anticipated that they would get the you know why? Why do we have to buy radio advertising? We'll just for the price of a free for a price of a sandwich. You know we'll have people rave about it, which is why I just as a matter of principle, I just don't I don't buy into that. If you if you want the plug, you know for stuff like that, you know just just buy the ads. But anyhow, there, it was a big deal, and it continues to a big de- be a big deal. Um, the Chick Fil A on Capitol Drive in Brookfield. I swear it doesn't matter what time of the day or the night that I, I am driving by there, and that's that's when we're going out to visit relatives and friends and stuff. That's one of the routes we typically take. That 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 Chick-fil-A is just always packed in, in the drive-thru, and there's like two or three lanes, and, and it's always, it looks like there's always 20 or 30 cars in there. So clearly, you know, Chick-fil-A has, has hit on a formula to the point that they anticipate. And again, it's not like this is the first Chick-fil-A coming to the area. This is the first Chick-fil-A that's going to be in Glendale. But if you want a Chick-fil-A sandwich, you've had all sorts of ways you know, to get it over the course of the last couple years. But they anticipate that there's going to be so many people in line that they're going to have to, again, close down one of the streets, put up directional cones, and devote an entire lane of traffic on a major, on, on a major thoroughfare for the Chick-fil-A business, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. What is it uh, about Chick-fil-A that, that draws this kind of, of attention? Because I'm willing to bet that openings of most fast food restaurants, especially in an area along Restaurant Row, it's not like, hey, this is the first fast food, this is the first McDonald's that's coming to a particular community. This is an area where, again, within half a mile, you've probably got seven, eight, nine, you know, fast food restaurants, or at least six or seven that I can think of. And yet Chick-fil-A is anticipating this huge crowd and people who are going to be willing to, you know, wait in line to go through the drive through our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. What is it about Chick-fil-A that makes people, I don't know, wait in line for you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes to get a chicken sandwich? And I like Chick-fil-A, but I'm not waiting in line for 20 minutes. 855-616-1620. But obviously a lot of people are. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I ask that question about Chick-fil-A every time I drive past one. I've had it, but I personally, I don't think they're that good. They do have great service, but candidly, it's the last place I would want to get food from. Jeff's Chick-fil-A success is this formula. Most moist chicken sandwich plus good customer service plus fabulous shakes equals happy customers. Well, it, it clearly does. Jeff, I think it's like Black Friday shopping. People just want to say that they were there and they were first in line and essentially just to have bragging um, rights. Also, do you think Chick-fil-A is becoming the new KFC? Well, I, I think Chick-fil-A is 
kind of kicking KFC's butt in many respects. Jeff, I think Chick-fil-A needs to hook up with Quick Trip. Um, and, you know, there are a number of people are, are making the analogy that, you know, Quick Trip, that clear, we've talked about this before, clearly does something right. Um, you know, Quick Trip clearly does something right um, a, as well. There's just no doubt about it. Um, Jeff, I think it's great that they're being proactive about it instead of waiting until several traffic accidents happen because of the line backed up on the street. Yeah, and, and by the way, th- this isn't a permanent closure of the, the road. Some people are saying, well, I don't think they should be able to do that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. It's just, it's like the grand opening. And so the, the cops are helping them direct traffic so you don't have problems and things like that. I It's not going to be an every night sort of thing, but it, it is as somebody who grew up in that area, I do drive by there going, huh, I wonder how this is going to work. Okay, but but the underlying thing is it, it's it's clearly going to work because people people want to go there. And so what's what's the magic? Let's let's start with uh let's see. Let's start with Jim in Cedarburg. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. The uh a number of your Previous comments hit it right on the head. You know, my son, who's Todd and Kathy's nephew, by the way, okay, um, just got a job. Got a job at the one in Lacrosse. He's a student there, has been for quite a while. Anyway, just based on their grand opening, because I was in town for that. You know, the line for that one was. Down, I don't know if you know where this the Quick Trip is. You know, in, when, as you come into town, but it was all the way down to the hospital and back around, sure. and then four lanes deep waiting to get in, you know, so, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, it's like people, ne- it's like people never saw a gas station or a convenience store before, huh? <laughs> it, well, you know, it was, it was 45 minute wait to get it, but then, cause I wondered too, why would someone wait so long to get a $5 chicken sandwich? You know, it's, there's yeah. a lot of them that are similar, but none of them are as good and it's fresh and yeah. it was tasty all the way through. And I guess if you just want an enjoyable experience, that's what you're going to get when you get it. in the service, all good, yeah. clean-cut kids, just like you go to Culver's, you know. Right. No, they, they've clearly— Yeah, no, thanks to culture. I mean, they, they've clearly got—they've they've clearly got something going. And, I mean, I, I and, and God bless them. I mean, I think it works. Jeff, you ought to see the crazy line at the new KFC in Watertown. You'd think people never ate chicken before. We had one a few years ago, but that closed, but it never had lines like this. Chick-fil-A is of good quality. They've got a good selection of sides, and the employees are the nicest in the fast food industry. And and I think, you know, all that's, all that's true, but I, I just, I, again, I'm amazed that people will stand in line. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal about how uh, today about how Chick-fil-A has the, the the it's eight minutes and they're like number 10 out of the, the, the top 10 fast food places as far as drive through. But part of that is because just of, of the sheer volume. What they say is the average, you know, the average customer is going to wait like 10 minutes or eight minutes, I think it was, to get their sandwiches. But my guess is that that's because, you know, maybe at the McDonald's, you're behind four cars. At the Chick-fil-A, you're behind um, 10. Let's talk to Mike in Crystal Lake. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Enjoy the show. Thank you, sir. Uh, let me tell you a little bit. I'm down south here a little bit, but uh, I, and I love Chick-fil-A. But there was a uh, Raising Canes that opened up not too long ago in our town. And opening day consisted of several hundred free meals being given out by Raising Cane's in order to promote the business. And on the day they were promoting the business, 
the lines were at least yeah. a quarter mile long. Yeah, it but- turned a four-lane highway down to three, and the police were out there directing traffic. Of course, they paid for it. Yeah. But it, it really made an issue of how do I get to this place? I mean, <laughs> it was good food. I love it. Right. But, uh, yeah, they needed the police to direct traffic and yeah. to try and take care of the problems. Yeah. That now, was their opening day. Yeah. Th- thanks for calling, Mike. Now, of course, there, you, you said the magic word. It, it was free. They were giving away free food. I'm not seeing that Chick-fil-A is giving away sandwiches. For people who don't know, Raising Cane's is a chicken finger chain restaurant based out of Louisiana. I, I think there's two in Wisconsin, but the people that love those love Raising Cane's. I've never... I, I've never, I've never been there, but um, maybe they're, they're. I think they're planning to build their second location down in Kenosha. I'm not sure where the first one is, but a number of people are saying, "Well, if you like Chick Fil A, you're really going to love Raising Cane's." If you live on the in the North Shore and you you got to have your Chick Fil A fix, well, I think Friday is when it all starts, and you know. You know that there's going to be just a massive traffic jam, whether you get it or not. I'm not sure I get it, but go figure. 